Welcome back to another episode of Authentic Influence. I'm your host, Adam Connor. Well, 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 Valentine's Day is just around the corner, isn't it? Well, that influenced strongly what brand came on the show today. First off, if you are new to the show, welcome. It's a podcast all about how some of the most innovative and interesting brands out there are mobilizing their masses to become more authentic and how they leverage the voice of their consumers. And today, with that particular holiday coming up in mind, we're on with 1-800-Flowers and their chief marketing officer, Amit Shah. We talk all about how 1-800-Flowers is, of course, looking to help you out with those marquee times of the year, Valentine's Day being one of them, but we more specifically talk about what they're doing in a more always-on capacity to deliver a uniform engagement to its users, to its customers, to its potential customers. And we talk about much more than just those high-profile events. And we talk about how behavior of consumers and how general attitudes of consumers are contributing to the offerings that 1-800-Flowers provides, including some which come with no cost at all. I thought it was really great to touch on these because it's not just about Valentine's Day. It's not just about Mother's Day. There's so many more times when the offerings that 1-800-Flowers provides can be impactful. We also touch on some of those more vulnerable moments in this podcast about how loneliness is at an all-time high. We talk a little bit about depression. So that part of the story, I think, is important. And that's why I kept it, and that's why we're going to talk about it just a little bit. But of course, I'll back away, and I'll let you hear the story for yourself. So without further ado, this is from 1-800-Flowers, Amit Shah. All right, everybody. I'm here with 1-800-Flowers. I bet a lot of you are thinking about that right around this time of year. And we're going to learn more from the brand directly. I'm here with their CMO, Amit Shah. Amit, how you doing? Thanks so much for coming on the show today. Very excited to be uh, part of this conversation, Adam. Thanks for having us on. Of course. I can't wait to dive into everything that the brand is doing, of course, because with Valentine's Day being right around the corner, that's a big priority. And that's probably what a lot of folks associate getting flowers with. But obviously, there are plenty of other times to do it, and I imagine that the brand is hoping to have a more uniform engagement with its consumers. And, and I know that we've spoken a little bit already about this, so really I'm just teasing this out in the conversation, but we'll get there. What I want to do first is start with you. What I find interesting is that you have spent nearly 10 years with 1-800-Flowers. Of course, not all in the CMO position, but typically what I've seen is that CMOs tend to have a two to four year tenure. They tend to come in a CMO or one level below and then go elsewhere. And it's great to see folks who are staying on with a brand for longer times than that. I mentioned that when we interviewed GE last year and Levi's last year. And what I want to know then is how you came into 1-800-Flowers, but then I guess more importantly, how they've gotten to hold on to you all this time. That's an excellent question, Adam. Uh, I think uh, there's equal parts, serendipity and inspiration uh, that uh, were sort of the propelling, twin propelling forces of how I ended up uh, in marketing in general and then specifically at 1-800-Flowers. You know, the early part of my career, if you will, I was very fortunate uh, to have spent at McKinsey uh, very early on in my career. And that really gave me a deeper appreciation uh, of uh, developing a very solid problem solving kit especially when you are trying to identify patterns and problems that cut across 
industries and verticals. So I felt like it was a extremely uh, deep-seated uh, introduction to solving problems at scale and then learning at scale, and we'll come back to those themes. But I was fascinated very early on by uh, applying sort of this mindset of problem solving to, uh, to growth problems. So after McKinsey, after doing my analyst program at McKinsey, I worked at a bunch of startups, uh, which was my first introduction, if you will, to uh, growth challenges that are, are all too common with internet or e-commerce and retail in general these days, right? But if you think about it in mid-2000, I was trying to power growth using some of the principles that I'd learned uh, in, in consulting, but even more deeply, those were the nascent days of internet plumbing, if you will, being built out around customer acquisition and, and sort of growth strategies. So I felt, again, very sort of uh, lucky out of serendipity that I was running sort of a growth uh, challenge inside a startup. And, you know, the internet plumbing that we are very familiar with now, whether auction-rich environments around search and display or even sort of the affiliate landscape, those were themselves getting launched and, and kind of getting uh, traction during those times. And at the same time, alongside that, you had all this sort of social media and other products aggregating not just millions, but tens of millions of uh, people and audiences at scale. So I felt I had a kind of a very unique driver's seat view of this forces taking shape that uh, are, are crucial ingredients to achieving growth, if you will. So, you know, that, that got me very interested in somehow taking my skill set to organizations that also then reflected not just a desire to grow, but a desire to grow uh, with the right context and mindset. And I think that is very important for me uh, in sort of the career choices I've made because I feel that, uh, you know, one's life's work ought to reflect a deeper set of choices. And suddenly for me, the ability to solve problems at scale, uh, be part of uh, uh, growth stories of incredible brands, but doing it with a deeper purpose is suddenly uh, something that, you know, excites me and keeps me at 1-800-Flowers. So uh, I came back to the East Coast to do my master's uh, and met sort of the, the two founders uh, of the company, Jim and Chris McCann, and so, as I was saying, you know, the first part of my career was a lot of serendipity and ending up in marketing and growth functions. Uh, I would say the later part was more around inspiration. You know, suddenly, uh, Jim, who built up this company for more than 40 years, you know, is a internet pioneer himself, uh, uh, launching a, a bunch of the first, if you will, uh, not just in our industry, but in e-commerce in general. Uh, while at the same time coming from a very deep understanding of the Main Street. You know, he was a florist himself. The roots of our company are in Main Street retail shops. So I felt very inspired that that here, uh, you know, I could extend some of my life's work, not just in problem solving and powering growth, 
but also in pushing this idea of a collective uh, vision that we all share in the leadership team at 1-800 Flowers uh, around our mission of, of creating goodness, of spreading smiles, right? So, you know, that's, that's a few of the factors I would say that led me to 1-800 Flowers and, and why I'm still sort of uh, equally uh, uh, feel extremely privileged to sit at the intersection of this serendipity in, in different parts of my career and then equal parts of inspiration of working with such great leaders. I'm glad that uh, that you describe it as that, uh, you know, being inspired, but also a bit of serendipity playing along the way. I'm sure most folks who who rise to great leadership within within brands always have a little bit of that sprinkled in. Let's talk for a second about what the brand is doing on uh, in an in innovation or a growth uh, plane, because as I mentioned at the very beginning, of course, Valentine's Day is a priority for the business. And this uh, is being recorded slightly before and also being released slightly before listeners. So, you know, this was done very, very recently um, before Valentine's Day itself. But there are so many more things happening generally. I don't even want to say holidays because there's just more things happening during the year uh, towards which, of course, 1-800-Flowers can be applicable because it's it's much more than just flowers, even though it started out as that, much, much more than that today. So what my question is, is how is the brand seeking to become a part of its consumers' lives in more than just those highlights, those marquee events? So first and foremost, uh, you know, we seek to be a part of our consumers' lives by having a very deep understanding of what both from a cultural zeitgeist and a personal zeitgeist outcome we want to understand what motivates people what builds deeper relationships for them and then collectively how does it lead to a better uh, state of being uh, for the communities that we serve at large right so let me unpack that for you a little bit you know we feel uh, sort of very privileged in the sense that uh, we get to play a, a certain role across the life cycle and the life events of any given customer, any given user, if you will. And the reason I say that is if you think about sort of the, the deeper uh, elements of life that excite us to build relationships and, and then acknowledge those relationships, they are built around uh, everything from birth to end of life, if you will, right? So all of this, these events, whether they are uh, your, your niece's birthday or your neighbors uh, moving to a new house or Aunt Sally who might have taken care of you when you were a kid and who, who might be at a hospital trying to recover from a fall, all of this we think are, are opportunities and, and uh, are deep sort of seated expressions that human beings are seeking to always articulate and bring to life, right? So we think very deeply about how do we become that trusted source uh, and, and, and articulate those, those feelings in a way that make the recipients understand how much they're presence, how much their relationships matter. 
and we certainly take that not just as a one on one outcome but we take that very seriously in the sense that when we have a collective expression across such life events we find the communities actually to be a, at at a better cadence and at a better outcome so the way we look at 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 sort of being relevant on a day to day basis is try to think deeply about this life events try to think deeply about what our customers are seeking to express and this is certainly no more true uh, i want to say than the current sort of time that we find ourselves in right you have increasing amounts of digitization of our relationships and our everyday expressions around relationships where you know uh, we are getting to this this culture of emojis and and suddenly sort of lighter expressions if you will of relationships but if you look at any of the surveys whether the pew survey gallup polls etc any of these macro surveys people still end up articulating the depth of uh, interaction which is very authentic and real so i would say to the final point not just in terms of articulating the occasions articulating the importance of expressing around those occasions the core everyday ones uh the the final sort of frontier also is is looking at how to help people express this across a collective outcome as well so it, we are not just looking for empowering individual customers to get to that outcome we also want to empower the entire ecosystem that is around them so it is not just the sender sending something to the recipient but also how that interaction then spills over to to the rest of the ecosystem that they are a part of certainly their personal families their personal sort of neighborhoods and then collectively the larger society as well and this is this is i think something very deep in terms of what we think uh, differentiates us into the marketplace as well because we don't necessarily just think that our job is to deliver flowers or bring the freshest sort of choices or products to the market but rather help people deepen and 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 articulate the depth of their relationships and that certainly is an everyday need that certainly is an everyday desire uh, that all of us as human beings have of course and it is truly more than just a one uh, off send when these things happen um because just the very product itself instills a sense of joy and community and those stories that are told or that mood that is um fostered from the offering is a, a very powerful thing cuz normally it's it's associated with uh, a quite emotional event or happening. Um, what I'm curious about is how as a brand or as a business uh, you harness some of that. What are the ways in which you find stories of people who have been touched or moved by either sending or receiving what 1-800-Flowers brings to the market? And if you're able to get that on a relatively consistent basis, how are you leveraging that as part of your story? so you know that's that's a very uh, thoughtful question i would say uh, there are a couple of ways that we are trying to uh, 
get deeper into this process, right? Uh, I think I have to start off by first acknowledging that uh, this is this is a continuous uh, learning process for us, right? We don't think that uh, we have a canonical understanding uh, of of how to really uh, gestate and and grow this, but we have suddenly a lot of uh, experiences and work in progress that informs us on terms of how to uh, to really get at this brand narrative if you will right and and I'll give you a few examples of how we are trying to do that you know uh, if you take an if you take a, a, a book of business that we have around sympathy for example you know traditionally sympathy has always been seen through the lens of end-of-life outcomes Right, and generally it, it is centered around sort of funeral arrangements, centered around sending something for the services, etc. Right. When we started looking at the category, uh, we realized that actually the fullness of sympathy extends across a spectrum, all the way from empathy to sympathy. So it is not just the end of life outcomes but also expanding the idea of sympathy to include all the emotional constructs that, that someone might have around, uh, you know, loneliness, which, by the way, is one of the highest rising uh, sort of states of being uh, across all age groups, which was surprising to me in this country. It, it includes sympathy for home. It includes pet sympathy as we as a society have, have become much more closely intertwined with the idea of pets around us and, and being beloved parts of our uh, of, of families and so friends and gatherings. So once we started expanding this idea of what it really means for our consumers, our users, and how they look at sympathy, it allowed us to then go back and start having these conversations with them, right? Either in terms of, you know, we have a radio shows uh, that we have put out there with John Tesh uh, talking about sort of the ideas of the evolving uh, mores around sympathy in this country. We have uh, tried to gestate sort of our marketing efforts around informing customers, uh, for example, that, you know, what is the appropriate way of expressing around cremations, which are also one of the fastest rising sort of end of life outcomes in this country compared to uh, sort of the traditional funerals, if you will, right? And then internally, we have developed a bunch of, of uh, sort of plans around gestating communities that allow people to interact with each other who are facing, let's say, for example, terminal uh, illnesses, right? So we are, we are taking our ideas of, of being in, in the space around sympathy, broadening our understanding alongside our customers' understanding of, of the space, and eventually helping them, what we talked about earlier, deepen the expressions around this day-to-day -day, uh, uh, behaviors that they have. So that's sort of one example that we have. The other example I can talk about is that we have spent a lot of time, and you will suddenly see this uh, in our Valentine's Day 
marketing efforts, we are trying to also help our customer base understand the the importance of uh, you know expressing sort of in not a digital light manner, right? So we have uh, you know done a lot of surveys around, for example, what does smile facts do to you? So we have this series of smile facts, for example, you know uh, that it takes a lot more muscles to frown versus to smile, right? So and then we have a bunch of like surveys that we have collected that help us appreciate that hey you know very digital first world if you ask most people they still yearn for the analog uh, excitement they still yearn for an acknowledgement of something as simple as as uh, a card sent their way so this thanksgiving for example our homepage has a three step uh, offering and the first offering was a free e-card because we think that Thanksgiving is about thanking people, thanking community, thanking your family, thanking your friends. So it's okay if you don't buy anything from us and it's okay if, if uh, you have a budget which just is very minimum. We still feel it is critical for you to express and we want to provide the tools and ways and means that everyone can get to that point of expression. Because again, going back to the idea that, uh, you know, we want to build something very real in terms of our relationship as a brand with our customers. Part of it will be a commercial outcome uh, and part of it will be an outcome which is deeply around helping our customers express, even if it doesn't lead to a commercial outcome in the short term or the medium term. Right, right, right. And that was something I know we, we talked about a little bit before this, but that I thought was particularly interesting and it made complete sense. Even if it is offering a little something that is of no cost at all to a potential consumer and maybe they will do future business, it, it is really more about making sure that um, that the feeling and the sentiment is, uh, is delivered in some way. And I imagine that uh, that you all probably wouldn't do that unless there was some uh, good uh, effect on the business, and I'm assuming that there is. But I uh, I want to also ask this question because what we've done is unpacked a lot here, um, even in just a couple of questions worth. We've unpacked that uh, 1-800-Flowers is doing more than just Valentine's Day, even though Valentine's Day is coming up, um, You know, especially with regard to things that are uh, becoming more prevalent things which are not intuitive. Um, so the, the rise of, of loneliness as an opportunity, uh, especially for, for a brand like 1-800-Flowers to get involved with folks um, to, to bring positivity to them, all the way to providing these unpaid methods to spread a message and, of course, doing so within 1-800-Flowers' umbrella. That all seems like a highly authentic way to connect with consumers um, because you're doing it in more than just those marquee moments as I discussed. Uh, but I want to hear this directly from you and here's why. Because most folks who listen to this show are just attempting to build either better relationships with their consumers, something that's more direct, become more one-to-one, -one, um, or just build a more authentic brand generally. And then it's whether they've founded their own business or whether they're working as part of a small business or all the way up to Fortune 500 or 100 brands. So that's a lot of lead-in. Here's my question. 
What sort of advice would you give those folks, given your nearly 10-year journey at a brand so connected to emotion on how to build an authentic brand for themselves? Uh, you know, I think this goes to the crux of, of uh, our current thinking, if you will, because as you can imagine, this is a, a very potent debate uh, that we hear both externally and certainly internally amongst our colleagues and our leadership as well, right? So I, I will say, on, I'll give you sort of my uh, take on how to build and what has been our experience certainly in, in uh, going down this journey. I think the starting point uh, has to be around the idea of what I call the ABCs of building an authentic brand. And, and let me unpack that. By ABCs, I mean, what are the basic guiding principles that are required and suddenly we have tried to live on a daily basis those principles and that has helped guide a lot of our decisioning around uh, how we have you know, tried to approach this in a very authentic manner. So the A of that ABC centers around activity. And the reason I provide uh, sort of the activity as a starting point is that far often what we find is that a lot of modern brands do a great job around narrative and talking about it. But their day-to-day -day activity has such a, a, a different connotation and articulation and belief state, right? Because I think the first things that customers want to know is that, is your activity consistent with you being authentic? So I'll give you a simple example. Uh, we have, uh, you know, both a direct ship business and we have obviously more than 4,000 florists that are part of our florist network, right? We consciously, on a daily basis, and especially at peak, we want to make sure that our florists are very important in our uh, sort of fulfillment outcomes. So we work very closely with them, even though some of our competitors actually talk very bullishly around the idea of cutting out the intermediaries, right? So cutting out the florists and directly sending from the farm the flowers to someone's uh, you know, dining table, right? We think that that's fine if you live in an area which is not very well serviced by the florist. But certainly when the florist can deliver, we think that the main street is an equally important stakeholder in outcomes as the speed to some outcome, right? So the activity of a company, of a brand has to reflect in deeper manner the, the beliefs that they have around authenticity. And when brands keep on talking about being authentic, but their activities and actions do not line up, I don't think in a in a in in the the world that we are in currently, that's going to pass muster, right? So the first set of things, even before we started sort of talking about some of our efforts that we were doing, was to try on a day-to-day -day basis in our activities to become more authentic in terms of including all the stakeholders, understanding what their real needs are, et cetera, et cetera, right? So the first part is 
this activity has to be consistent with your mission. It has to be consistent with your desire to be authentic. It cannot be, it, it cannot be an optical outcome, right? The second thing I would say is that you have to deeply understand the behavior of customers. That's where the B comes from. In fact, I would say for a lot of brands that are trying to be authentic, they have not spent enough time understanding their consumer's behavior. And the reason I say this is that in the arms race to collect customer data, we kind of forget the context around that data. So a lot of the, the uh, modern brands, I see that quite often, they will employ a lot of surveys, they will employ a lot of questionnaires, etc., cetera, uh, and a lot of on-site behavioral data mining to try to get better information about their users to target them even more deeply. While that is a very important and a good exercise, it does not allow you to understand what are the gestative context, why is the customer motivated, and what we find is a lot of times the behavior that is exhibited by the customer is not actually indicative of the context, right? So we were just talking about sympathy and empathy, right? So one of the things that we find is that a lot of times all of the advertisements and all of the, the, the conversations that a brand tries to have is always under this idea that everyone is in a positive state of being. Whereas we know that the behavior and the context of our customers has elements of what we just talked about, you know, high degree of loneliness, high degree of sort of anxiety with, with uh, you know, late stage illnesses, for example, right? So we want to have conversations that even tackle these difficult things because the behavioral context of our customers is indeed difficult. Right, so not shying away from from talking about this behavior, not shying away from minimizing commercially the relevancy of, of this underlying differences in behavior, I think creates a lot less authentic feeling in the minds of our customers, right? So we, we take the B part of that behavior also very seriously. And the third one, which is related to the behavior in many ways is what is the context of the entire conversation. And the context now, you know, one way is to, to understand sort of what is the overall macro con context, like we talked about, you know, the cultural zeitgeist of this country is increasingly getting to a point where we are becoming a little bit questioning of always having devices around us, always having expressions which are mediated by the devices. So. You know, for example, all of us have received a text message saying happy birthday, right? Which sounds, you know, the first few years, it sounds like you have been acknowledged, but increasingly leaves a lot of us with a gnawing feeling whether those are real relationships or not, right? So we think that the context is also about brands having a say uh, that is very authentic. So as I was saying with our Valentine's Day campaign this year, we are asking the question, what is real? Like we suddenly feel that this emojis and sending people, you know, cute sort of selfies does not really cut it when we think about the depth of relationships that we are acknowledging. So having the ability 
to understand uh, behavior, ability to operate in a context that is reflective of the customer's real context, and then having activity consistent with behavior and context is, is at least the way we have found uh, to help us get to that authentic outcome. And then the final thing I would add, you know, the connective tissue that we have between this ABC uh, view of, of building authentic relationships is this idea of learning quotient. And by that I mean is that, you know, authenticity and becoming authentic, like with our individual life's journey, is a very learning, learned outcome. So I think internally the brands have to be very committed to building teams and building programs that are built on the idea of learning. So, you know, a lot of times in the modern marketing parlance, I hear about, you know, what is your digital quotient? What's your data quotient? But I rarely hear organization and brands talk about what's the learning quotient. How, how are the activities that we are doing uh, in order to appear more authentic and, and really live out the authenticity that we want our brand to be known about, how are we really learning from that? You know, are we taking a step back and really asking the question, the deeper questions around, you know, what is the data telling us around the context, for example? And then, you know, can we take a series of activities that help us get better in the round two or round three of it? So, you know, this is equally about knowing the ABCs as having an internal commitment to learning that I think really creates a pathway to a great authenticity uh, North Star versus sort of grappling and just talking about it optically over time. That is the most complete answer to that question that I've ever asked by a long shot. So thank you. Um, there's a lot to, uh, to think about there. Um, and obviously, you know, the fact that you're thinking about it that deeply um, lets me know that uh, that as a business, one um, hundred flowers has certainly taken a huge couple of steps during your tenure to to become truly more authentic and to separate from that, yeah, more like vanity, happy birthday on Facebook or emojis and things like that, um, to a more genuinely emotionally connected experience. I can't thank you enough for um, for providing all of that insight and that such a complete answer in that advice section. That was really wonderful. Um, so. Thank you very much for, for, for joining the podcast, uh, Amit. It was, it was a pleasure to speak with you. It was a pleasure as well. And uh, would like to remind all our users that a great uh, event is coming up, Valentine's Day. Uh, so hopefully they will think of us as much as they think of us every day. And certainly appreciate your questions and a chance to speak to uh, all of your listeners as well. Thank you. Thank you so much to Amit Shah for joining the podcast today. It's been great hearing about 1-800-Flowers and what they are doing to provide a more constant engagement with its consumers and especially what it's doing around those marquee events. And obviously with Valentine's Day just around the corner, good luck with the rush. If you like this show, heck, if you love this show, here's how you can stay connected. We're on LinkedIn, all right? We have a page there, Authentic Influence Podcast. Go give that a follow. It's sort of the hub for our content. It's where all new shows will go once they're released. It's where clips from the show will go, and it's where other little tidbits will go as well. Hint, hint, if we do some live events, 
later this year. That will be the first place where you can learn about it. Uh, of course, I'm also on LinkedIn personally, obviously. Adam Connor, reach out to me, send me a message, connect, follow, do whatever you want to do, and let me know what you think of our show. And of course, if you stay subscribed wherever you get your podcasts, leaving a rating and review in those directories is awfully helpful too. I'll be back again in just a couple of days with another fantastic story about how another brand is mobilizing its masses and becoming more authentic through leveraging the voice of its consumers. And until then, for Authentic Influence, I've been your host, Adam Connor, and you'll hear from me again next time.